Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. Welcome to I New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. Of three and a New York City public school special education teacher. Our education system has failed our children, contributing to higher crime rates. Amidst the threats to our men and women in blue, I started a movement called Thank You NYPD. I received death threats simply because of my pro-law enforcement stance. Our city has been crippled by policies pushed by the radical prosecutors and current city council members plunging our city into the abyss while making Brooklyn unsafe and unlivable. It is time to show the door to those who don't serve the interests of the people. Together, we can change the trajectory of our city. I am Annabelle Fiori Delfaus, and I will be the voice of the people of the 47th District. I will serve you with courage, dignity, and pride. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to New York's Finest Retired and Unfiltered podcast. I have a good friend of mine with me, Annabelle Fiori Delfaus. She's running for New York City Council District 47 with my favorite council member, Justin Brannon. <laughs> Anna, seriously, thank you for coming on. Uh, Anna started a movement. Thank you, NYPD. It went viral. I believe you have 148,000 followers, something around there. A little less. But thanks for having me on, first of all. So, yeah. Um, so what happened was, uh, I'll just get right into it. About nine, ten years ago, there was a situation out on Staten Island with Officer Pantaleo. And uh, I was home on maternity leave when I gave birth to my first daughter. And I noticed that the news was just has had horrible rhetoric against all law enforcement. And then there was a series of events that had happened after that that were being really spotlighted by the media. So I said, you know, this is this is insane. We're we're highlighting some incidents that the facts weren't even out there correctly. Um, and it really ignited a fire in a bad way under a lot of people. And I said, you know, there's no outlet that has positive stories of interactions with law enforcement, specifically the NYPD and, and you know, the, the civilians. So I said the easiest way to uh, reach people is to start a social media page because obviously, you know, everybody's on social media. And so I started a page called Thank You NYPD. Um, initially, I had received a lot of death threats and they were traced, they were threatening to trace my house address through my IP address. And at the time I had to stop and think if I wanted to continue this page because I had a baby at home, I had family and I didn't want to put anybody in danger. But I said to myself, you know what, if, if I shut this page down, then they win. And I wasn't going to allow that to happen. So fast forward to the summer of the BLM riots. Um, I had gotten word that they, there was a GoFundMe started for uh, the George Floyd family. And I thought to myself, well, if they can start a GoFundMe, I can start a GoFundMe as well. 
And I did. I started a GoFundMe. And the purpose of the GoFundMe, uh, I had named it Refueling NYPD. And it was solely to bring food and like words of encouragement across the city to all the police officers. And I raised somewhere around, I think it was $30,000 through that GoFundMe. And uh, we started initially just my husband and I and my three kids going to the precincts delivering food. And this was, you know, during COVID. And then about the 12th visit, there was a back the blue rally on uh, in Diker Heights on 13th Avenue. And I had attended and my husband saw an interaction. This was happening right by the 68th precinct between this woman and a BLM protester, a tall, big guy and this short woman. And my husband nudges me and goes, this is Tatiana Timoshenko. Uh, She lost her only child and the son of Judy, Russell Timoshenko. And he goes, you have to catch this on camera because she was in his face and telling him like, this is, this is insane. So I personally hate the camera in people's faces. And I know how the cops feel about that because things can be misconstrued. And I feel like it's such a violation to have a camera in someone's face, but I knew this was something that was needed to be documented. And so uh, I recorded her. My husband went over to the protester and said, listen, guy, this woman lost her only child in the line of duty. He, he died for us, for our protection. And, you know, Tatiana Timoshenko, for anybody who knows Mrs. Timoshenko, she has a very heavy Russian accent. So if, you know, and it was so loud, so it was hard to hear her. But my husband said to this guy, you know, she lost her son. And you see his whole demeanor change in the video. He went from irate and just belligerent to he softened up and put his hand on his chest and was like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And it was such a crucial interaction. And now you can't hear any audio on the video because it was so loud, but just to see the body language was something incredible. So we posted that interaction to the page. And uh, that night I had received a message on Facebook from someone named Joe Fox. Now at the time I had no idea who this guy was and he was asking me for the video. And I said, wait, at this point, I don't trust anybody contacting me on the page. So I said, I have to Facebook stalk this guy, see who he is. And turns out he was a retired, a very respected retired chief of transit in the NYPD. And we, my husband was on the phone with him for, I don't know, an hour. And he was like, you know, do you want to come on these visits with us? We've been dropping off food to the precincts. I think it would be great if you came with us. The officers would be so happy to have this interaction with you. And Chief Fox was like, hell yeah, I'm on it. So it started, ironically enough, the first visit was to Russell's, uh, to the 71st precinct, which was Russell's precinct. And it was on the anniversary of his passing that we started doing these visits together, which was so moving for me. And um, I spoke to Tatiana in front of the officers and I broke down and I cried because I said to her, as a new mother, I want to know how it is that you raised your child to be so selfless. I, I think that as a mother, she was a, she's a successful mother because she raised a child that was willing to put his life on the line for, for strangers. So ever since then, we visited almost 50 precincts and we have, I have a ton of line of duty families that came with us to these visits. We did a, we visited precincts, TDs and uh, PSAs. So we did, uh, there's Maria Jagowski comes with us. Her husband died in the line of duty on Staten Island. Uh, 
Yeah, um, Kathy and Gil Lee came with us. Her son Kevin died in the line of duty. Uh, I think it was in the Bronx. Yeah, out of the 30th. Um, who else comes with us? Uh, obviously, Mr. and Mrs. Timoshenko. Uh, there's so Marcel Leahy has come with us. Carmen Suarez has come with us. Um, oh my gosh, whoever I'm forgetting, I'm sorry, but I, I you know, they they came oh. and they, they supported the movement, and it was really something incredible. So it's uh, it's amazing. No, I, no, I applaud you for doing that. I mean, I just my from my personal experience, you know. Uh, Russell Timoshenko, young cop, you know, he, he barely had a year on the job, you know, and, and that was, that was, that was a trying time for the city, you know, like for everybody, like that was a very bad time. And then the Eric Gardner incident happens. Right. And that's like another like pivotal moment in my career. I watched a young man who I had already made Sergeant at the time, but I didn't know Danny, but, I, you know, everything I knew, I knew a lot of guys that still worked on Staten Island, 120, I worked in 120, I worked in the 123. And from everything I heard is he was a great cop. He was the go-to guy in the precinct. He was on the sergeant's list. He was on the I crime Yeah. Basically mirrored my career, you know? And when I watched the video, I was like, he did everything I was trained to do. Take, take the, the suspect down to the ground, get him handcuffed. They don't tell you how to do that, right? And then it's, once he's handcuffed, roll him to his side to promote free breathing and call an ambulance if the perpetrator is in, in distress. And that was it. That was the end of my training. And he did all those things. He called his supervisor. You know, EMS came. And I know there was like a lot of judgment about that as well. But I mean, you know, they were assessing the situation. I, you know, I, I didn't I don't know their job, so I won't even critique it. Um, but I mean, from the autopsy and the, 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 the criminal the criminal investigation that was done by the Staten Island DA's office, there was no criminality. Eric Garner died from a 98 percent blockage in his heart. And I watched Danny Panaleo get fired for doing his job what he was trained to do, what we asked him to do. I mean, so I thank you for starting that page because I'll tell you, I, I was it was a rough time for all of us, especially myself. I see. Listen, you know, um, I am not a police officer. I don't have any training. I don't know what, you know, is protocol when it comes to those situations. But I watched the video enough to see that nothing looked wrong with the video. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not a professional. I don't know. But to me, it just looked like any other. I don't know arrest that of course the guy was you know not complying and giving uh officer Pantaleo a hard time but i don't i don't see how he could have been pinned for that but you know we were under the de blasio regime and de blasio made it very clear as to what his mission was and it was basically to you know uh ruin the morale of the nypd i mean it was obvious yeah, no, he definitely succeeded at it. I mean, and then the George Floyd incident happens and all of basically, not all of city council, but the overwhelming majority of city council, including the, the man who's seated in District 47 currently, Justin Brannon, is taking to social media, blasting the NYPD, saying we need to be defunded, that we're, uh, you know, basically cheering on violence. And I was like, and even that, that Blue Lives Matter, uh, rally that you attended. I mean, you know, he he had an integral part of bringing protesters to 
to interact in a rally that was just in support of the police because we were just being demonized so bad. That you know, protesters got crazy too. You know, I was witnessing cops having urine thrown at them. They were getting spit on. For for what reason? And you know, I had to applaud the six eight and because. I don't know how these officers did it, but they just stood there and they maintained their composure while they were being abused for no reason. And it was something commendable. You know, it takes a certain mindset and a certain level of discipline to not react to being treated that way. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, Listen, I, I have my own thoughts on that. We were more of a more proactive police department prior to Bill de Blasio. I, you know, and I, I always say be, prior to Bill de Blasio, we were the best crowd control uh, agency in the world, hands down out of anybody. And, we, you know, we kind of took a step back from that where we're letting the crowd dictate and we're stepping a lot back. And now I don't I, I don't ever want to see violence if it could be avoided. But, right. you know. Some of the things that we've been seeing recently and even leading up into this weekend, I have my worries about it, too, that, yeah. you know, that we're don't, we're leaving our offices out there without the tools that they need to protect the public and to keep themselves safe and to actually even keep the perpetrator safe. In a lot of instances, you know, we're, by letting someone get more aggressive and more violent, things get way more out of hand as than when they're just in uh, handcuffs. You know, if we just get them into handcuffs right away, um, what what do you think? What do you think drove you? So first off, let me ask you: Did, did you grow up in Brooklyn? Uh, did we always were you always a Brooklyn resident? I am a born and bred Brooklynite. I grew up in Brooklyn. You know, it's it's who I am. I can't get rid of it. Where wherever I go, wherever I travel to, that's the first thing people point out is obviously the accent. You know, anybody from New York City, each borough has a slightly different accent, yeah. but. You know, it's, uh, yeah, born and bred in Brooklyn. My parents uh, immigrated here from Italy um, uh, back in the 70s. So, uh, yeah, that's my roots are Brooklyn. And, and, and so what, what, uh, what were you doing? Uh, were you in any other profession prior to, um, I, I believe you were a teacher, right? Correct? Yeah. So I, um, I was a New York City public school teacher. Uh, and interestingly enough, that whole when the, the when I initiated the page, uh, Al Sharpton had told the UFT, make sure you tell your teachers not to wear NYPD shirts to school. And I was like, hold on, buddy. Nobody's telling me what I can and cannot wear to work, especially when the security guards have the NYPD patch on their arms. So yeah. it kind of didn't make sense. Are we telling the kids that they should fear the security guards at the entrance of their buildings, that the very security guards that keep them safe. So I, on the page, uh, put out a post saying, all New York City public school teachers on Friday, wear your shirts in solidarity with the NYPD. Because, you know, a lot of teachers are also married to NYPD. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a fact. So the teachers wore their shirts to school. And they posted their pictures on Facebook and somehow someone got wind of it. And three o'clock that morning, the post had put out a picture of me on the front cover stating that I was defiant against the, the UFT. And it wasn't in defiance. It was just to state that I'm allowed to use my voice. Nowhere in my contract does it state that I cannot wear an NYPD shirt to school. Al Sharpton is not my boss. 
Therefore, I'm not answering to him. Um, by nine o'clock that night, the mayor backed off and the, the post once again published like a second edition and it stated in bold letters, mayor okays teachers to wear NYPD shirts to school. So within a matter of hours, we were able to put enough pressure on the mayor to say, this is ridiculous. We can wear our shirts if we want to. So it, it, uh, using your voice works. No, absolutely. I remember, I remember that article. I remember all of it. It's, uh, I, I, I read about you. I remember I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I showed my sister. She's also in the DOE. I was like, look, at least, at least some people are standing up for us, you know, but no, my wife, my, uh, my sister's uh, married to a now retired NYPD sergeant to my older oh. sister. Okay. Uh, she works in Staten Island. Okay. Um, but yeah, that, that's, you know, that's what we need to do as, as not only as New Yorkers, like, you know, as, as Americans, you know, I mean, but your representation of what New York was, the New York I grew up in, the Brooklyn I grew up in, you know, unfortunately, when I was eight, um, I was witness to the Yusef Hawkins murder. I lived on 68th between 20th and 21st. Wow. So, you know, every Sunday, Al Sharpton would be in my neighborhood creating a real racial divide. And so I saw from a young age how like they, you know, like politicians and the media used race to divide us. Yeah. Back then, we were dumb guineas. Now, if you watch the documentary Storm Over Brooklyn, it was white supremacists, right. you know. Um, so, you know, they, they kind of changed the narrative as the time went on. But I remember Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton's a race baiter. He's anti-police rhetoric. He's someone that Bill de Blasio and now Eric Adams has put up on a pedestal to almost be a policing expert. Right. And it's rumored that he had done hits for the, the Italian mob in the 80s. You know, uh, Michael Francesi says that Al Sharpton was their go to guy. You know, so I mean, that's a you know, this isn't somebody that we should we should be putting on a stage and should be telling teachers or anybody anything. I mean, he's not a person of moral character. So I appreciate that as well. I what what led you to say, all right, you know what? I'm going to I'm actually going to run. I'm going to put my name in the hat. So um, what led me to run? So two years ago, again, during the height of the BLM riots, I worked in collaboration with um, a fellow NYPD uh, friend of mine. Uh, he was like, listen, let's start. A, let's do this rally in uh, Long Island. And let's, you know, using your page and your platform, because at the time the page was like growing and had so many followers. So I said, let's let's cooperate on this. Let's let's do a, uh, a rally. And it was a it was a back the blue rally, basically. And in Eisenhower Park. So uh, part of the planning, because it was a lot that went into this, it was a lot of logistics, a lot of planning. And remember, it was during covid. So they were denying permits for everything. We weren't allowed to have a stage. We weren't allowed to have a microphone. Basically, we weren't even allowed to assemble, yet the riots were okay and everybody was assembling and taking to the streets with no issue. So I said, you know what, let me wrap my brain around uh, who to have show up as far as pol politicians go, because I could get NYPD people to show up, but it, we need some politicians to help boost this. So um, we ended up having uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin was there, and uh, I reached out to Congressman Pete King, who's now retired, and uh, Congressman Zeldin came and spoke, and Congressman King, I contacted his office, and he, they were immediately receptive. 
they gave me the okay. The second I, I spoke to them, it was no hesitation. So um, from there, I fostered a bit of a relationship with uh, Congressman King. And he came and actually visited some of the precincts with us as well, because he grew up in Queens in Sunnyside and his father was on the job. So he um, he came with us to some of the visits. He, you know, uh, the officers were very receptive of him. And so at the time he had said to me, you know, you really should consider running for for government, for some sort of political position. And I was very I wasn't even entertaining the idea. I said, this, that's not who I am. Um I'm a New York City public school teacher. That's who I always will be. Uh, and he said, no, no, really, you really should consider running. So that was two years ago. So I let I put that on the back burner. I never really entertained the idea. Fast forward to last year during the mayoral race, I had connected with uh, the conservative candidate for mayor, Bill Pepitone. And I said, listen, I want to help you with your race. You're, you're a retired NYPD. I mean, who else would I support but you? So that's when I got my first real taste of uh, what it meant to campaign and what it meant to be out and discuss issues. And it was actually an incredible experience because I got to meet New Yorkers from every corner of New York City. You know, we went out to the Bronx, we went out to Manhattan, obviously Queens, Brooklyn and Staten Island. And it was a fascinating dynamic because people um, you see that a lot of people are one issue voters and a lot of liberals were uh, jumping on board with Pepitone because of his stance with the vaccine and the mandates. And it was just, that was my first taste. And I said, you know what? I know how to be around people. I love being around people. I love listening and I love hearing what people have to say. And as cheesy as it sounds, I, I use my voice on the page to try to help bring up the morale of the NYPD. So what's the next step that I could take to actually implement what I believe and put things into, into writing to really make a difference? You know, I loved doing the, the visits. I still go to visit the precincts. I pop in every once in a while with the line of duty families. They take me along with them. They can't get rid of me. Um, so, you know, this was just another way to use my voice in a way where I know I'm not going to back down. I've been threatened before. I know how to handle the pressure. So this was just the next step. And I received more encouragement from people who are currently seated. And I just said, you know what? I have to give it a shot. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So I said, Let, let's go for it. I think you're the perfect candidate. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, you're, you're a civil servant. That's what you wanted to do. You see things that are wrong and you're speaking out about them. And through your passion and your caring, you've, you've developed the ability to organize and get people together and bring people together. So I, I think, you know, you didn't, you know, you didn't start out as a child saying, I'm going to be a politician. I'm going to come out of college and tell everybody what to do. And I'm going to make law. You're, you know, you're, you're saying, all right, you know what? I think that, I think things are going wrong. And I think I, I could help, you know, I, I, I think, we're being led by our inferiors. I really do. I, I think normal people need to throw that, that their opinions in the ring and, and make, and actually be the people to make law and make decisions because, you know, we're, we're seeing people on ego, especially in New York city, ego trips that are, are to the next level, you know, they're putting themselves and their politics ahead of the people they serve. And, you know, and a lot of them are, are faithless is another thing that bothers me. I'm not saying that you have to believe in something, but 
when you when you don't fear God or you don't fear anything above you, I mean, I really don't think you should be in the position to lead. You know, people that I think should lead are the people that truly don't want to do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, and it doesn't sound like you really wanted to do it because you could you could have done it already. What we, we, we've seen your ability to organize with the thank you NYPD, with the your ability to get the teachers to actually support the NYPD to wear shirts. You know, I think. I think part of the motivation was too when I did the GoFundMe, it was so moving to see complete strangers on the page because the, the GoFundMe essentially was funded by people on the page. They poured money, their own money. And at the time it was COVID, things were shut down, people were out of work. And the selflessness of the people, and I'm talking, so this page is, I think we're, is, I think there's people from like 75 different countries on the page or something like that. And these donations were coming in from everywhere, everywhere. It wasn't just New York City. And to me, that was sort of like an indicator that if you connect yourself to the people and to the community, then and you can represent them in a way, I think that's a, a good thing because it really, truly was a lot of people, the people on the page that motivated me at, at one point. It, you know, they they just... They were so selfless and so giving and they just, like I said, they poured their own money out into, and I get messages on the page in so many different languages. You know, I support the NYPD. We, we love New York city. Um, I've connected people on the page to officers. They maybe took pictures with when they were on vacation in New York city years ago. So it's just been really motivating to, to see how people have reacted to that. Oh, it's, it's selfless on your part as well. I mean, you're a mother, you're, you're a wife, you know, you're a professional, um, you know, you, you know, I'm going to assume you're not making no, any money for this at all. You know, you're doing no. out of the goodness of your heart and wasting, yeah. a, not wasting, but you're, you're, you're devoting a lot of your time to, to, to something good, something you believe in. You know, it's, I like to learn. I'm a teacher. So my, my natural instinct is I want to learn. You can't teach if you don't learn yourself. And what I've learned w about life, especially, and I, you know, just to be a little philosophical through the, the line of duty families that I've been with, these families suffered a nightmare, complete nightmare, the way they've lost their loved ones. And yet they are some of the most positive, happy, optimistic, and selfless people I've ever met. And, you know, I don't know how people are that way with the loss that they've suffered and with the, the climate right now towards uh, the NYPD and any sort of structure. Obviously, you know, people are looking to tear down any sort of structure, but the way these families hold their heads up high and just let it roll off their shoulders is something so commendable. So, and I've learned from them. I, I really, and I think that's why I love them so much. And I always want to be around them because they, they just, give me this positive outlook on life that it, I, at that point during COVID was very hard to find. So I'm thankful for that. Oh yeah. No, COVID was, was rough on the city. I mean, me personally, I'm sure you as well. Um, I'm all of us, actually, everybody. I don't care what stance you took on anything. COVID was a rough time. I, I say, I don't know how many people, People that didn't believe they had PTSD prior to the last two years now definitely have PTSD. I don't care what end of the political spectrum you're on, how you feel about the vaccine, how you don't, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, it was a rough, scary time and a, a lot of upheavals happened since then. Um, so so just getting on the issues like what do you 
what do you feel right now is 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 the number one issue in New York City? I mean, I know there's a lot, and I'm not saying that that's the hierarchy, but like, what what would you place as like you know one one of the top? So I'd have to say that one of the top issues, if not the top issue, is actually education. And the reason why I say education and not crime is because if you have an efficient education system, an efficient school system, that's a direct link to kids avoiding crime. You create, if you foster a positive environment in, within a school and provide the necessary services after school programs, you know, I'm a firm believer of, of uh, kids really ha- getting a holistic learning approach through the, the schools. You know, if you interest kids and keep them uh, motivated and, and, and just interested, really interested in school, I think it's a very good way to avoid having kids on the street. Because listen, I, I've had uh, experience teaching all over the city. And uh, if I tell you how much gang activity happens within an elementary school, it is mind boggling. It's mind boggling. You know, they, they're, these kids are recruited at a young age because they're vulnerable um, and they are targeted. So I know that if schools would just really, the, the, the DOE, if the funding was just correctly done for these public schools, we would have a lot of, a lot less issues with kids on the street and that sort of crime. So I would have to say education is my number one issue. Yeah, no, I think. I think you're right there. I mean, I, I think the education system, you're seeing a very like uh, an actual microcosm of what's going on with crime, right? We're removing consequence for bad behavior in school. We're removing consequence for uh, for like actual learning goals where we're, we're, we're pulling down. We're pulling down structure to 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 pretend that we're promoting environment to build when really what we're doing is destroying, right? Because we're putting children out and they're going to go move on to the next grade and they're unprepared. And what's going to happen when they sit in the classroom and they're unprepared and they don't understand. Now you're really going to lose them. And, and, you know, I, I keep saying we're growing criminals under the type of ideology that we're doing, because like you said, these kids that are impoverished, they come from, from families where maybe, you know, unfortunately their parents aren't in the best situations, uh, mentally, financially, emotionally, um, they are targeted. I mean, I, I had friends that were, were robbing cars at 10 years old, like, you know what I mean? And they were, and they were Italian and Puerto Rican kids being targeted by older Italian males. And the same's true for all ethnicities throughout throughout new york city you know when when but the difference was when we were kids and we went to school there was that structure in school we would fail we would get left back we would want to succeed pal was around the schools were open in the summer so i i think it's very important i do you know the schools now have there's been this push to create like just level the playing field we're eliminating gifted and talented programs we're we're trying to get rid of the the specialized high schools. Um, you know, if if you don't create a competitive atmosphere, you're not giving kids the reason to strive for something. And I'm a special education teacher, so I see now, especially with COVID and, and uh, with the mandates, a lot of schools are out of compliance. So a lot of special needs students are not receiving the services that they need. And what's happening is we're taking high functioning kids. We're grouping them with the kids that are really struggling 
and putting them together. And what it's creating is this crazy environment of frustration and boredom. And, you know, it's, it's not helping. In theory, it sounds like great. Oh, you know, the higher functioning kids will help the struggling kids, but it doesn't work that way because you're boring the high functioning kids. You know, there's, there's a way to go up this without getting into too much detail. There's an approach that you can take with blending the classes during certain time, you know, certain kids can be pulled out for certain subjects and go to different classrooms. And I've seen that model work beautifully, but it seems like we're really trying to level the entire playing field and it's not accomplishing anything. Uh, there's no consequences for, uh, you know, violent behavior in schools because the way the system is set up is if a principal reports uh, a violent behavior or some sort of bad behavior that the students uh, participated in in school, the school gets flagged. And after enough incidences, then the school's put on a radar and it looks bad for the school. And then the school gets a bad rating and it's just a vicious cycle. So to eliminate that, maybe sometimes some incidents are not reported. Kids are not getting suspended. They're not, you know, there's, there really are no consequences. There's no structure. So if a kid knows there's no consequences, what's to stop them from behaving a certain way? You know, you don't, it's even with, with babies, you, you have to create some sort of structure and consequence system and it, it needs to be smartly done, but it needs to be done regardless, because then it's a free for all and kids don't understand that their decisions do affect them and the people around them. So it's, it's just, it's, it's chaos right now. The, the whole model of the equity and, and, and pretending it's based on compassion when we're watching failure after failure and we're watching mm -hmm. what it's doing. Like, and I think what you're saying is like, you, you want to focus on education and attack the root causes of crime and like where it stems from at its earliest levels but we're we're actually strengthening the roots you know what i mean right now in the current model like we're not we're not attacking root causes we're not trying to eliminate them we're strengthening them we're gonna we're gonna bring these problems even more on the forefront into the street into into other issues you know you're, it's like you're treating the symptoms rather than than trying to actually treat what's happening you know, so it's, it's, you can't put a bandaid on a stab wound. It's not going to work. I mean, uh, you know, crime, particularly your district, um, was never really a high crime area, but we're seeing crime spike, uh, significantly throughout New York city and all, in all precincts, you know, um, uh, particularly in, 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 uh, district 47 as well. You know, what do you, what do you believe, uh, is the main causes of that? Like the main factors I mean, it's been said so many times, but it's just bail reform. You know, it's if you're a recidivist, you're not even you're not even checking into the precinct. You're you're you know, there's. I sat in on a hearing today and. This person. Beat another person. I Ad admitted to wanting to do it again, would do it all over again. And then it's the person walks out. And it's just, what is happening? What is happening? How, you know, the victims are made to be the perps and the perps are made to be the victims. I'm a strong believer that we have everything backwards right now. And like you said, in District 47, that whole South Brooklyn was quiet for a long time. It was, you know, we really lived in, it was a, a and the unknown gem of the city, I like to say, because it was really, Life was great. Life was amazing in that part of Brooklyn. 
up until, you know, a few years ago. And now we're seeing a lot of stuff go down. Like, you know, um, there's one instance in particular where there's uh, old ladies are being shoved and mugged in Bay Ridge right now. It's old ladies are being targeted, uh, getting waiting for the bus or getting off of the bus. And, you know, it's, it's violent because they're being shoved to the ground and their purse is taken or, you know, sexual assaults also happening in Bay Ridge. Uh, they're having an issue with the smoke shops. You know, those smoke shops are pop- popping up everywhere and the NYPD doesn't have the jurisdiction to take them down. It has to be something they have to work with the marshals to take those down. So it's a complicated process. And, uh, you know, uh, this apartment was just raided. I think it was about a week ago. It was two apartments that were being rented by a drug dealer from California. And both apartments were packed, jam-packed with um, drugs. And I said, you know, if this guy was in jail, they wouldn't have this issue. And it wouldn't be something, it's like chasing a tail. It's just, and the community is actually getting frustrated with the NYPD now because they're saying, well, they're not doing anything. And people don't understand that it's not that they're not doing anything. They're being told, don't do anything. So, you know, is someone going to risk losing their job because they want to do the job correctly? Or are they just going to try to write it out and hope nothing happens? You know, I I thank God I'm not an officer and I'm not in that position because I don't know what I would do. I think it's, it's crazy. But it's starting to really trickle down to the community and it's creating... Uh, uh, an atmosphere of animosity with people who, you know, a community that is pretty much pro law enforcement. And it's, it's, it's starting to change. No, absolutely. Listen, it's hard. It's, It's hard for the community to understand. And it's hard for the police officers to understand as well. I mean, when police officers see open drug use, when they see vagrants laying around in places that they shouldn't be, parks that are used for kids defecating in the street, urinating in the street, they know that these things are wrong. And and in the past, we were able to correct them because we had the tools. But all of that was removed from us. Like one of the big things that Bill de Blasio and, and New York City Council did uh, during his reign was they removed criminality of minor crimes. They right. removed it. You know, everyone was like, oh, stop question frisk, stop question frisk. Uh, I was still doing anti-crime at the time when we stepped away from stop question and frisk. But arrests stayed the same and crime never rose because we were still arresting people for minor crimes and enforcing minor crimes. And they saw that. And the DAs were still prosecuting, you know, Um, and what they did is systematically, okay, uh, loitering's now legal. This is now legal. You can't do this. You can't do that. To the point, even at one point of like, you know, you have someone selling drugs out of an apartment. They're like, if they're just selling marijuana, you can't get Mm -hmm. a search warrant anymore. Yeah. So I'm like, here the guy is. He's not paying his rent. I can't do anything about that. We right. That's not me. It's the marshal. And, you know, it, everyone knows that process in New York City. It's the worst process in the country. You're right. basically going to live in your house for free. You're going to wind up giving them money to leave. Right. And now they're dealing drugs and you're out of your apartment. And there's nothing that the NYPD could do about it. And you're like, I don't understand what I pay taxes for. What what is the function of the police if they don't do anything? So it's completely understandable. And it just goes back to the fact of why we need common sense people in office. Let me tell you about common sense. I I've uh, I've sat in chambers listening to city council argue over bills. And 
you leave depressed when you hear how these council members are expressing their views towards these bills. It's an emotional, they're all emotional basket cases. There's no facts being presented. I'm so, it's the truth though. There's no, no facts. It is, yeah, 100%. working on emotion, but you know, your emotions should be driven from facts. They shouldn't be impulsive emotions. And you know, that's, that's a big problem. That's why with BLM was such a tricky thing to navigate because black lives matter. I mean, of course it's, of course, black lives matter. I, you know, it's nobody would ever argue that, but it's a term that has been used as an umbrella for something else. And it's being used and abused to represent something else. And, and I'm sure, you know, as an officer, and uh, if you speak to people within the communities in New York City, true New Yorkers, you know, from every part of the city, from, you know, the, the, the lower income areas to maybe the, the, the areas that are, have higher incomes, everybody wants the police. The people who are fighting against this whole system are the people that are not originally from New York. They are they are the transplants for the, the majority, or they are the people that lived comfortably enough in their bubble that were never affected and say, well, this doesn't really exist. It doesn't actually happen. And they've been spoon fed some crazy fool aid, like I like to call it, not cool aid. But, you know, it's not, if you ask any any New Yorker, any good, decent New Yorker from any walk of life, you're going to get a unanimous uh, uh, a unanimous answer on if they want the NYPD or not. So it's just doesn't make sense. The people who are calling the shots are not New Yorkers for the most part. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I said that all the time. Whenever everybody's like, "Oh, you know, there's a thrift with the police and the black community," I'm like, "I I don't know about it." I said, "There's a thrift between the police and criminals. You know, black criminals, Italian criminals, white criminals, Spanish criminals." I'm like, "There's a thrift there." Yeah, I was like, understandably, I said, "But when you go in the community, I mean, there's not really a thrift with the young children, with the with the mothers, with the fathers, with the with the business owners. There's not this this huge thrift that everybody likes to, you know, that gets perpetrated in the media and by politicians." And, you know, I'll just name some of the names in city council, O.C. Che, Kristen Fahalem, I mean, uh, Tiffany Caban, you know, Justin Brennan, too. He, you know, now all of a sudden he likes the police because he's coming up on the election. So he's, you know, he's taking photos. He's doing name name things. All of a sudden he likes the police. But that has not been the case, you know, after his last election and then prior to that, like it was like he, you know, and, and it bothers me. It really does, because they are children of privilege. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and they're talking about things that they don't understand, you know? And like you said, they're going off of feelings. They're not That's going off of fact or reality. You hit the nail on the head when you say it's children of privilege. You know, these people complaining about the NYPD have ridiculous security and live behind gated communities. And they're spending so much, so much money on private security. If that's the case, why do you have private security? Well, you know, it's, it's just doesn't make sense. If you just take a look at things on the factual end, you're going to come up empty handed. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about, I mean, you obviously support law enforcement, 
you know, would you, if you were elected to city council, would you support like presumptive bills? Like we have a bill in, uh, like we have a bill that if something happens with our heart, um, it's presumed that it happened to us as a result of our, of our, of our employment. Um, I know recently there were some bills that, that went around. It really wasn't city council, so it should not really too fair to ask, but obviously I would, I would, I would think he would be in support of like presumptive bills for healthcare workers, uh, uh, police, firemen. I 100% support that. And I'm not saying that emotionally, but because I've had one-on-one interactions with the Lee family, you know, Kevin, um, Kathy and Gil lost their son, Kevin, uh, and he was on a foot pursuit. And because of the stress of the situation, he suffered a heart attack. I, I, I believe it was a heart, you know, a heart attack and died as a result. So, you know, high stress jobs take a physical toll. They take an uh, an emotional and a mental toll. That's obvious, but of course they take a physical toll. So I am all for that because listen, you put yourself in a dangerous situation, right? Then body's natural reaction is for the heart rate to go up. Now it's not a matter of keeping your cool or losing your cool but it could be a physiological reaction to the situation that is beyond your control because you're in such a high stress situation. You're chasing somebody with a weapon. You're chasing somebody with a gun. Somebody's pointing a gun at you. It, it just makes sense. I'm also a supporter of, and uh, if this ever comes to the floor, this is something I will work on. Um, suicide officers who uh, take their lives um, while they're, uh, you know, uh, actively on the job. I think that's something that needs to be looked into as also as a result of the job. I'm, I'm really, I've been looking into that lately and uh, delving into it. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. I think, I think Biden said it. I think it was the only, one of the only things I ever agreed with him on that he said, and I think he said that that's a line of duty injury, suicide, you know, um, you know, are there, are there other factors outside of work that, that could lead to suicide? Absolutely. But you know, Police, definitely high stress job, you know, uh, same true for our healthcare workers, for, for firefighters, you know, and even for teachers, like, you know, anyone that's really putting themselves in, in service, I mean, should have the support of the city. I'm not saying it to ridiculous levels where we'll bankrupt the city or, or get unreasonable expectations, but I mean, it, it would be, uh, you know, what we need to build towards, in my opinion, in New York City is to have a legislative body that supports the community and the services that we that we provide and the people that work for those services. Um, you know, I, 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 I know we spoke offline and I told you, um, you know, I, I left the NYPD over the COVID mandates. I was denied a religious exemption and I was denied a, a medical exemption for the antibodies that I received from the contraction when I contracted COVID in the line of duty. Oh, how do you feel about the mandates that are still in place where parents can't enter the school and city workers are still being barred from employment and new hires are being barred without getting the COVID vaccine mandate, uh, without getting the COVID vaccine? So I stand firmly against the mandate and I'm not going to speak emotionally, but let's speak logically. For example, someone who has four years of college, two master's degrees, 10 years experience teaching cannot not return back to a classroom because of the vaccine. Where COVID is not being spread through the schools anymore, 
you know, we used to get in the initially when schools were uh, reopened, we used to get emails updating us how many cases were found in the building because it was constant testing, kids were testing, teachers were testing, and we were getting emails back to back to back, you know, new case, new case, three cases, four cases, five cases. Now we get an email maybe once in a blue saying there's one case of COVID in the building. And, you know, thankfully nobody's been very sick. Uh, people are coming out of it. Okay. Now, you know, it's, we're in a different position than where we, when we were in the beginning of COVID. And so that being said, you know, why can't people return back to their jobs now? I, I think it's something that to replace, especially teachers, seasoned officers, you know, firefighters and, come on, the medical, the medical workers that they faced, they faced COVID with no PPE. Let's, let's be for real. Zero PPE. They were, they were begging for masks. They were reusing masks. And in the beginning, they didn't even know they were being exposed to it because it didn't become a pandemic till March. That doesn't mean it wasn't around before then, you know, they were blindly exposed to it. So logically, it just doesn't make sense to, to have the mandates at this point, because what is it helping? We see now that it's not helping and that's the science, you know, and the science is also, you know, not to be conspiracy theory, but there's a lot of people suffering from all of a sudden, a lot of issues with their hearts that are perfectly healthy. And whether it's the vaccine or not, I just think that the mandate at this point is not helping the situation at all. It's just not. And to remove people who are seasoned professionals from their positions is, is it's a shame because, you know, now people are out of a job and certain positions are not just a job. Most teachers I know don't treat it as just a job. Most officers I know don't treat it as just a job. Same with the FDNY, same with the medical workers, EMS, everybody. You know, it takes a certain calling to do a, a, a city job. You know, it's, not something you say, oh, well, look at the paycheck. I'm going to go chase that job down, obviously, you know. Um, it's really, it's a calling. It truly is a calling, and I, I believe that in my heart. So, yeah, I'm I'm firmly against the mandates. That being said, you want to get the vaccine. You want to wear a mask. Go right ahead. That's the beauty of our country. You have the freedom to choose, and I will never judge or discriminate against you for doing so. I don't know what your health situation is. I don't know if you live with elderly people at home or immunocompromised kids at home and you want to be safe and cautious. And you know what? I don't blame you because I would be paranoid too if I was in that situation. So you have a choice. You have a right to, to choose what you want to do with yourself. But to tell somebody you got to stick a needle in your body to keep a job, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And nor did it say that on anybody's contracts when we signed on to our jobs. So that's another logistical issue where it doesn't state that when I signed my contract to become a teacher, it did not say that. Same thing. You know, the, the labor law was violated. And, and I keep saying that, like, how could I possibly sign a contract with someone when you just violated so many parts of my last one? How could I trust that, that anything else couldn't be violated? Um, you know, it's, crazy uh it was just it was just an awful time it did a lot of damage to the city i mean you know I, I sat in on a city council hearing where they were talking about uh where they were talking about like the, the shortfalls in staffing and like nobody even brought up the vaccine mandate i mean vicky paladino did robert holden did um 
missing a few names here, but what, but there were a few people that did, you know, and, and this, and the city, you know, the city was not really held accountable for it and really didn't have answers on it either. How many people left because of it? How many people were fired? How many people retired? DCAS was like, Oh, we really don't, we really don't have those numbers. Right. I, I, you know, I think it's going to be an issue for a lot of years to come. Um, I think so, you know, um, We'll keep, we'll keep working towards it. You know, I mean, I, I think that's a common sense approach to it, right? You do what, what, like, like life always was do, do what's best for your, your health. And, and how could I dictate one medicine's good for everybody? It's just, it just can't be. That's it's just common sense. You can't force your regiment on anybody else. It's like saying, you know, well, I'm a veg, I'm a vegetarian. So you need to be a vegetarian because it's healthy. Or it's like saying, uh, you know, it's, it's with anything, you know, part of our rights and our constitutional rights is that we have a say in how we live our life. Once we start toying with those rights and our abilities to choose, we can quickly, and I think we are quickly spiraling down this rabbit hole that's going to lead us in a very bad spot. And everybody thinks it's, you know, it's it's hypersensitization. It's, uh, it's just, it's exaggeration. It's conspiracy theory. It's it's not. If we take a look at where we were 10 years ago to where we are now, there's a stark difference in our society and there's a stark difference in how we live our life within a matter of 10 years, you know, and I'm raising kids in the city and it's, I always wonder like, what is, what is it going to be like for them? Are, and I know we are put on this earth at this time for the very reason, uh, you know, we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be here now. There's a reason for it, but just why, why is it happening like this? Why are we, why are we spiraling so quickly out of control? You know, it's, and a lot of people are looking to government for that structure. And they're saying, well, if the government says it, then I'm going to believe it. And I think when you lack that sort of guidance and structure in your own personal life, you seek it somewhere else. And a lot of people seek it out in the government and the government is not really want to be trusted like that at this point anyway, with, you know, how they're, how they're presenting things. So but that's that's my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, the government's just people like us, flawed people like we are. You know, uh, I just spoke about it the other day. I uh, I got the uh, I got the honor to go to go see uh, Governor DeSantis uh, get sworn in, in in Florida, and then I went there. the The priest that introduced him and the priest that read him his so two two different priests spoke when they read him when he was getting sworn in. They both like put a prayer over the whole crowd and over him. And they both said that, I hope I pray that he remains fearful of God and that he, he keeps in his brain that he is a servant of the people. And, 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 and it really stuck with me. Cause I'm like, that's really what a leader is, right? There has to be something above you, like a guidance for you, a moral compass for you to, to, to guide your path and to make sure you're on the right path, but to ultimately know you're not, you're not the end all be all. You're a servant. You're there. You're almost uh, selfless. You know, you're almost more selfless than than, you know, you're not a celebrity. Basically, you're not you're not someone that's going to go, uh, you know, shouldn't be out or you know, you could go out. I'm not saying you can't go out and go to clubs. I know Adams gets the knock on that. But I'm saying ultimately not take guidance from people you don't agree with and not not do. That's not a leader. You know, that's not that's a dictator. Well, you know, I think part of the reason that people do get that way is because when you don't have something you believe in, you start worshiping yourself and you start believing that you're God and what you say goes. And that will never work because if you're representing the people, 
you need to listen to the people. And, you know, it, it may be an unpopular opinion, but because of my faith and my religion, I know to keep myself in check and I can't worship myself. I have to listen to what the rules are and I have to believe what the rules are because without structure, you have chaos. And, you know, it's, it's just, that's, we're lacking a lot of structure in society right now. And that's why we're seeing the chaos that we're seeing. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else you want the people to know? Anything else in your platform? Um, uh, no, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a, a good race. There are a lot of uh, Republicans stepping up and not only in this district, but in, in a couple districts across the city. Um, so we're going to have a nice big primary in June, June 27th, the day before my birthday. So everybody better go out and give me a nice birthday present. Um, and uh, then the general election is November. But at the end of the day, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I just pray that whoever gets into position represents the constituents correctly and honestly and doesn't put the final nail in the coffin and like one of the best parts of Brooklyn. I just want my city to be okay. And, you know, people say, oh, well, if it's only one or two more seats, it doesn't matter. It takes, it, it doesn't take the majority to make a change. It just takes the right people to make a change. So I think, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of good things happen uh, this year in politics. So we'll see. No, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, I'm honored that you came on. You know, I had uh, I had one of your opponents, uh, Mike Ragusa, come on. You know, he's a, he's another Republican candidate. I know Avery Pariah. I believe I'm saying his name right. He threw his name in the hat. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited, honestly. And I, and I pray the same thing. I just pray that whoever gets in does the right thing. And we have to start somewhere. And you guys are actually starting in the right place you're doing it you're throwing your name out there you're getting in there because you care and you want to do something um if you guys want to donate to anna www.contribute.nycvotes.org uh if you go to that if you go to that website you just scroll down you're going to find anna's name uh any contributions i believe they're matched uh eight eight to one if i'm not yeah. mistaken so if you live within New York City uh, and you donate anywhere uh, up to $175, New York City matches the contribution $8 to every dollar donated. Yes. So if you donate $10, it turns into 80. If you donate 100, it turns into 800. So, you know, go on and donate. Yeah. And uh, Anna's actually on Twitter as well. She is at Anna BD for NYC. So you right. can follow her there as well. Um, you could go to her. Thank you, NYPD Facebook page. Actually, 127 or 128,000 followers in between there. I think I said the wrong number before. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for all you guys. I'm praying for New York City. Like I said, I still own property there. Um, I'm not 100% that I'm not coming back. I, as much as I'm, I'm my, my kids are thriving here, they're doing well. Um, my wife loves it here. I'm not 100%. You know, I just saw Jamani Williams has a no-show job where he's not in the office and he's telecommuting. So I said, maybe I'll run for public advocate. We'll see. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> I like, no, I'll do it from Florida because he's obviously not doing it from his office. You know? <laughs> you know what? You know, I have to admit, I have to say something. The officers that I know that have had interactions with Jumani say he's probably the nicest politician to them. He's probably the nicest, most respectful. Imagine these people, it, you know, a lot of it, it's just they're playing both sides and they're just doing what they need to do, 
with their own political ambition to get where they got to go. So they're, it's, you know, they're not holding themselves accountable. They're just playing the game. They're putting politics ahead of people. It's the same yeah. true for Eric Adams. All the cops love Eric Adams. Oh, he shook my hand. He took a photo of me. I'm like, yeah, but he's selling you out as you go. I'm like, you know, I'm not saying they're bad people. And I, I don't have, I don't harbor hate towards any of them, even though they kicked me out of my career. I had to leave the state. Like, I don't harbor hate. I'm just not, I don't, I don't give them enough credit for them. I'm like, you know what? I was pushed in a different direction. God pushed me in a different way. I am where I am now. It is what it is. I'm not going to harbor hate over it, but you know, they're putting politics ahead of people. And, and honestly, the, from what I'm seeing in New York City, the incompetence in our elected is, is just, it's just right. Like they, they are incompetent people. You know, I, you know, I worked with plenty of cops that were nice guys. They were terrible cops. I would never want to get in the car with them. I would never want my wife to, God forbid, have to call 911 and them to show up. You know, it's, you know, and not to say that they weren't, you know, good guys, but they were they were good guys. They were just terrible at their job. And that's why what do you I think. Why do you think that is like quickly? Like, do you think that because I mean, I don't know exactly. I don't know for sure, but I heard that the standards are lower and it's like it's easier to become a cop now because uh, of whatever political nonsense. Is that true? Um, I listen, I think definitely the standards are lower now. And I think definitely the training with the newer guys is definitely lacking and the way that we approach it as a whole. And I believe the leadership is not there. You know, I, I, I stopped using the term leaders and all that stuff. I use management now because I'm like, I don't, I don't believe that I've seen anyone exhibit leadership in, in the past 10 years. And, and believe me, I love, I love a lot of those guys. You know, I love Joe Fox. I I think they're great people. I think they're great New Yorkers. I think that they serve their city. I do. But you know, in, in times of in times when it really needed we needed leadership and we needed people to stand up and 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 exhibit exhibit true, you know, leadership where we needed. Listen, I'm going to take the flack. I'm going to I'm going to tell the truth what's going on with the police. I'm going to say when this incident's bad. I'm going to say when this incident's good. Right. And and, you know, and 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 what's going on right now currently in the NYPD is they're lost. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what their mission is. They don't know what their mission is. Their mental health is in the, is in the, the garbage. The morale is low. I mean, and, 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 you know, they're afraid. I mean, we're coming up on the weekend now, right? They're going to release the body camera footage I know, I heard. Of, of these, of these five Memphis, uh, Tennessee police who were just arrested for, I, I don't know what they were charged with, but I'm right. hearing that the video is very bad. They're yes. saying that this video is worse than Rodney King. The young man ends up dying. Nobody's going to care that there were five black officers and he's black. It's just going to fall back to the to the the narrative that the police is systemically racist and even black cops are racist. And that's a lie. And we will not have any any of our police leadership push back at that narrative. You know what I mean? No, they'll take a knee, a knee like they did. So like that's what they're seeing from the top. And look what's going on. Six o'clock tomorrow. Yeah. Six o'clock tomorrow, we're going to release the body camera on a Friday night. If that was me, I wait for it to rain Monday morning in traffic and I hit the button and say it is what it is. This is what it is. Let's have the conversation. It's going to eliminate the ability to go and destroy the city. We've had we had some windows smashed and graffiti. Antifa was all over Manhattan last night. You know, it's not on the news. No one's talking about it. Antifa is all over their stuff, bragging about it. Um, it's better that it's not on the news, to be honest, because they don't deserve the publicity. They don't deserve the recognition. They don't deserve the the hype 
that goes around them. And I think, I actually think that's a good call to be honest, because once you put something on TV and give them the notoriety, then it's like, it's an infamy type of thing. And that's when you get more people to tag along and say, Oh, I'm good. That looks cool. I'm going to do it too. Don't put it on the news. Don't give anybody the attention. Let it, you know, let it, yes, we have to know what's going on, but at the same time, it, it attracts a lot of attention, not in a good way. You know, it, it, it riles up the crowd. I mean, me personally, I want them on the news with their mugshot what? arrested and saying, you know, that they're going to face prosecution for it. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want, I don't want to see another George Floyd style, right. you know, I mean, you know, 2004, well, 2004, the Republican National Convention comes to New York City. Right. Four years prior to that, it was in Seattle. Antifa at the time, I think they went by a different name. They said they were going to come to New York City and burn New York City down. That didn't, there was no property damage. We arrested numerous of them. We had the tactics, the tools, the district attorneys on our side, the support of our mayor, the support of our police leadership. We had a, a, an overall goal that nobody was going to get hurt and our city was not going to get burned to the ground. And I believe we could have deployed those same tactics after George Floyd. And I believe the same thing. But when we have elected officials acting and doing stuff like this, that's going to throw flames on the crowd six o'clock on a Friday night after you just spent a whole week building up how bad this video is to actually to, to like bring up the, like the, the levels and, and the anxiety and, and the hate. I mean, it's, it's scary, man. It really is. Listen, and six o'clock Friday night, we all know what the commute is like six o'clock on a Friday night in New York city. It's the commute's brutal. So yeah. why are you going to do this again, six o'clock on a Friday night? It's going to affect the working people trying to get home, you know, people coming home from work. Why? damage the economy, people's morales even further. Like there has to just be a different approach. And the fact that, uh, you know, once again, this, our city is being targeted for something that happened somewhere else. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's, I don't know what the situation is. You know, I, I, I haven't looked into that case thoroughly enough. I've, I've been extremely busy. Um, but I don't know. I, and I love body cam footage. I am one that I ask, like, you know, let me see it. I want to watch it. I'm so fascinated by it. I think body cams have done a lot of good. Yes, they've hurt some, but the ones that they've hurt, maybe, you know, that's, it should have. I don't know. But why, why, why does the public deserve the body cam footage? Why shouldn't it go through the proper legal channels first? This is what I don't understand. Why is it out there? I mean, I'm sure everybody reviewed it, whatever the past couple of days, but are we going to have the whole picture from both sides? Are we going to know exactly what happened? Uh, you know, and again, it's strategic five, six o'clock on a Friday night. I mean, yeah, it's a powder keg. It's a powder keg, you know? I mean, the, the problem that cops have with body cameras, like the majority of cops that they're having with the body camera is the CCRB, the Civilian Complaint Review Board. Yeah. What they're doing is they're framing down on frame by frame and they're being judged frame by frame instead of the whole incident. You know what I mean? You're not taking the whole incident into the totalitary, like Ooh, the people are throwing bottles and bricks off of me. I grabbed him to pull them away so that I wouldn't get hit, you know? And they're just by the frame. They're like, oh, you know, you, you, yeah, you punched him twice and that was good. But the third time we think that was excessive, you know, where it's not being used properly. I know I just saw they unleashed the, 
the car that has basically body cameras all around it too. So right. now we're going to get other camera angles of officers. I mean, and I, I agree with you. I think that the body cameras are a good thing. I think it exonerates a lot of nonsense complaints, but I think on hot button issues that that body camera is weaponized by the civilian complaint review board to find officers guilty of minor infractions and, and, and seek termination where it's really unwarranted. And it, it's, there's no job on earth that has that level of scrutiny where it's like, you know, you're being actually physically assaulted and they're like, right. well, he shouldn't have did that. He should have did this, you know? And it's like, well, who the hell is, the, how the hell do you know what he should have did? And you didn't see anything else around you, you know? And that's the big complaint. Um, with cops so you know so right. you know and and the other thing is is the disciplinary matrix that city council did which is another thing that's being weaponized and the the penalties on there are insane i mean if if, if you get a chance you know we we did i did an episode of all about it and it's it's insane you could literally be fired for cursing one time and it doesn't even have to be a curse offensive language so and, and, and just a political scenario, like like we saw with the officer with the with the Trump sticker on yes. our on our vest. Yes. Now, I, I, I'm a I'm a I was a lieutenant. I don't agree with anyone showing anything. I don't right. I don't believe you should have a patch on your vest. And I don't believe that your vest should be shown. I believe tactically it's terrible because if somebody sees me, they're going to see my vest there. If they're looking to do me harm, they're going to shoot me in the head instead of going for my vest, as opposed to if they saw my uniform they would more than likely shoot me in, in my major areas, which right. my vest would, would cover. So I, I think she was wrong. I think she was wrong. But the punishment that she received, right. 10 suspension days, thir 10 suspension days, 30 vacation days taken away from her. And then she was transferred off a tour. I mean, it's, it, you know what, what I would have did? I would have said, cover your, zip your jacket up. That's right. what I said. That right. would have been her well, punishment. That's, I, I, Again, I'm not too familiar, but I did read that the punishment, that's not what the normal punishment is when there's like a, a, a disagreement or whatever it is when they're, the badges should be covered or whatever the situation is. That's what I read, that the punishment was just so insanely disproportionate to what it normally is. And listen, you know, I and I, whatever your political affiliation is, I do believe that on your uniform, it should not be expressed just because your uniform is for the city and your uniform is to get a certain job done. You know, what you put under your hat, what you put in your vest that nobody could see, that's that's on you. But when you make it a public thing, you know, and it's yep. not, I hate to be hypocritical because again, I fought to have the NYPD shirts worn in school, but that's not a political thing. That's a mere support for my fellow brothers and sisters in service so you know certain things need to really be analyzed and just looked at with a, a finer eye because especially now and i'm not saying people should silence themselves i'm i'm a completely against silencing yourself but be intelligent in your approach to things because they're looking to ruin you and it's not worth it it's not Absolutely. worth it Absolutely. No, I agree. I, I actually, funny, this is the vest that I wore during the 2020 riots. <laughs> I have the same thing. But if you see, if you see photos of me, you don't see that you see my shirt. 
Right. You know, it was underneath, it was underneath my, it was underneath my shirt. You know what right. I mean? Um, you know, as your long, own... listen, once you're off the clock, you can wear whatever you want, obviously. Absolutely. If... Yeah. You want, yeah. Yeah. But, but listen, Anna, I, you know, I, I like to leave everybody with the last word, you know, so uh, anything you want to say to the world, the kids, voters, New York City, whatever you want to talk about. New York City, I just hope you guys get it right this time. Please, you know, get out and vote. Um, and I, I want you to think about who you're voting for. Don't vote emotionally. Vote logically. This is all I implore you to do. And uh, District 47, I, you guys, it's such an amazing part of Brooklyn. I love, you know, South Brooklyn is my home. It's my heart. I want my the constituents to please just get out and vote logically and i and i hope that the right candidate gets gets put into into position so please uh if you can donate to my campaign follow me on twitter send me a message on uh twitter go to thank you and my pd follow thank you and my pd and um that's what i'm gonna leave you with and it was a pleasure thank you for coming on we really appreciate Thanks. it thank we you hope for to having see you again me. soon thank you All right. All right.